Welcome to the Top 10, Overcoming Child Sexual Abuse, the podcast. We're taking time to step back and listen to the top 10 episodes from the last three seasons before we launch into our upcoming season five. I think the value of the top 10 is in reinforcing that trauma shows up in many different ways in our daily lives, but also in many ways that are similar. We share a lot of the same triggers, feelings of betrayal, inadequacies, relationship challenges, anxieties, and more, even if we're functioning incredibly well in everyday life, or even when we put out that we're just fine, when we really do need a little extra help. I hope these top 10 episodes give you that little extra help so that you can keep stepping beyond the trauma you experience as a child and tap into the power that you have to thrive in all that is ahead. Today, we're at the number six most popular episode, Breaking Myths and Revealing Paths to Happiness, part two with Dr. Meg J. And just as a little spoiler, part one is also coming up as we get closer to number one. Dr. Meg's books have been translated into more than a dozen languages and her work has appeared in the Oprah magazine, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, and on NPR and BBC. Her TED Talk is among the most watched with almost 12 million views. Dr. Meg is a clinical psychologist and an associate professor of human development at the University of Virginia. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology and gender studies from the University of California, Berkeley. And for decades, Dr. Meg has helped individuals as well as companies, universities, and think tanks around the globe. And today, she is here with us. Welcome, Dr. Meg Jay. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to be back with you again. Thank you for taking the time for part two of our podcast. Once again, we uh, have a lot to talk about. So shall we leap right in? Yes, we shall. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So we're going to talk first today about naming it to tame it, the negative impact of keeping secrets and the freedom in sharing and creating community. So let's start by talking about the damage of keeping the secret of child sexual abuse. And then we'll talk more about how sharing the secret is really a key to unlocking the best in us. Mm-hmm. In Supernormal, you highlight how family heroes, as you call them, keep secrets to keep themselves safe because it can be dangerous to share. Sure. The problem with that is that keeping the secret can be dangerous too, right? And you highlight research uh, that shows it's not the type of adversity that predicted physical and mental health problems. It was keeping the secret. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you also highlighted that hundreds of studies with thousands of participants showed that two of the most powerful predictors of being able to feel good in adulthood after early adversity are one, sharing our secrets, 
And two, having people in our lives who support us. Right. And they were yes moments for me. As I said, your books gave me so many aha and yes and thank you moments. Well, at that Aww. point was kind of all of those. But especially for me, I, I tried to end my life as a teenager. Mm. And that was very much about getting to such a low, not mm. only from the effects of the abuse, but more so from feeling completely alone and isolated. Mm. Yes. And that is, you know, we talked in the last episode about chronic stress and the chronic stress of, you know, kind of danger in your household or danger in your neighborhood or, or whatever the situation may be. But keeping secrets actually is another form of chronic stress for the brain and the body because we're in, you know, it may be a, a low state, but when are a chronically low state of hypervigilance around there are things that I know that other people can't know that I have to remember what I said here or there or make sure that no one finds out or make sure that I don't kind of trip over a trigger at a time when I just really don't need this because I'm supposed to be doing well or performing well. And um, so what psychologists have found out through research in probably the last 20, 30 years or so is really how um, stressful that is for the brain and the body to to keep secrets. And there's some really cool research out there about people who talk about different ex difficult experiences. Often, many years, even decades later, one cool study about Holocaust survivors who I believe were in their 60s or 70s, many of whom still had not or had rarely ever talked about their experiences um, that some of them did share, some of them didn't share, and those that talked about the experiences even many, many decades later subsequently experienced improved physical and mental health, that it really is just truly um, relieving to our brain and our body, A, not to be monitoring that secret anymore, but B, like you're saying, and like we talked about on the previous episode, as long as we have secrets, there's actually a wall. Maybe only we can see it between us and all of our relationships, that they're not quite real. We don't quite believe in them. There's the well, but they don't really know. So we do know that having people who care about us and support us and believe in us is also one of, as you said, the best predictors for doing well after early adversity. But when we have secrets, those people, it's harder to connect with those people or it's harder to believe in those connections because we feel like, well, they only like me because I'm doing well. If they knew about all the yucky stuff, maybe they wouldn't be here. There's a few things in there. Firstly, when I read that um, study about the concentration camps um, and those participants that were invited to discuss their experiences, you highlighted that those who were able to speak more freely about their experience showed improved health, like physical health, mm -hmm. one year later, one year later. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the extent to which that ongoing and unresolved trauma does affect us physically as we get older, especially. And so what can you share in order to help us share those secrets 
with trusted relationships, as you said, they could be friends, um, that could be that intimate relationship. But how do we get there? How do we feel safe? How do we f- step into that first yucky story? That is a great question. And I'd actually be really curious to hear what you have to say about this as well. I, I can tell you about it from my side as a therapist, what I have noticed many times with clients. And this is, you know, I learned from my clients and, you know, I, I might've learned for one or, or one or two textbooks in graduate school. <laughs> and then everything else has been from learning from my clients directly. And one thing I've noticed is that clients often will, you know, it's sort of what I say, like leave breadcrumbs that they'll, you know, kind of put their toe in the water about, um, some difficult experiences in their life. It may not be the one that they ultimately want to get to, but they'll start with, um, you know, difficulties either in the present or in the past and kind of gauge whether or not I respond in a way that seems not just not quite helpful because I think often, you know, people don't expect you to solve their problems in two or three sentences or, you know, help right away. But as much as that I am not surprised or um, or that I don't shut it down or that I'm not shocked, but that I'm, you know, kind of take it in as, okay, um, let's talk about it. And that then I will notice that soon after that, um, there will be something else that they would like to share. So I notice that people, you know, wisely, I think, kind of wade into it a bit gradually and, you know, we'll pull back if the people around them kind of say things to indicate, okay, this person doesn't have the EQ to, to go there with me on this conversation or that the person is going to oversimplify or judge or, you know, put someone in a box. Um, so I guess I would say start slowly, um, choose wisely. But I think part of choosing wisely is, is starting slowly and seeing how people react to um, things that you share that maybe aren't quite so, you know, close to the bone. Mm, and so as I reflect on what you're saying, um, the thought that comes to me is, uh, do we put our toe in or do we go all in? <laughs> so the, toe. <laughs> the toe in or the all in. And right. it's, it's funny, but literally that just came to me because um, of what I brought up in the last episode that, mm-hmm. you know, I have I've, in this amazing new relationship um, a year in, you know, um, and I've been in long-term relationships before, but this is just, it's, 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 uh, you know, I think sometimes as we grow, the, the our relationships grow and the depth of those relationships grow as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I was being triggered just because of being in a more vulnerable state because I was really wanting to open up, you know, so much mm-hmm. to my partner mm-hmm. and share who I was. Um, and so feeling that vulnerability of kind of wanting to share, but feeling still afraid because that's what's built into us, not necessarily because of the person that we want to share it with, but because of mm-hmm. our own feelings about ourselves, right? Not Nothing to do with them. Um, but I was being triggered to the extent that 
like I was having a reactions to thing and I'm like to things I'm like I can't kind of just go a little mm. toe in here mm-hmm. like you just have I to go am re- yeah I'm like mm-hmm. and I said to to Laura my partner I said I know how my reactions are so much beyond what they should be for for this mm-hmm. um and and I'm noticing it more and more and so when I was thinking about that I'm like I can't just like toe mm, in. It's like can't it's, wait it's, in. it's right. It's like what do you do? There's no there's no little piece of mm. anything that can sometimes explain why we're just so triggered by certain things that the mm. other person finds confounding and it actually really risks the relationship. And, right. Well, and, that's yeah, right? absolutely. And so very I just well put. I, yeah, and so I I kind of I, I realized that there are sometimes or you just have to go all in. You I just had dive in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that also comes, though, with, as you said, picking or choosing, you know, what's at stake, you know, what's the worst that can happen, and mm-hmm. am I prepared to experience that? Um, you know, when I first shared, as um, we said last week, with my mother, only when I was like 40 years old, um, it was because I was writing a book, and mm-hmm. I kind of had to tell my mom that I my my experience with my father because it was going to be in a book um and that was terrifying um and what I realized from sharing with her then is that I had really potentially missed out on the opportunity to have an authentic deep relationship with her um for so many years before because I didn't share Mm-hmm. Now I could have been rejected, and so there's two reasons. And you talk about mm-hmm. this in the book, and so I, you know, let's talk about this back and forth because you bring this up. These two two reasons, among others, in the book, is that we're afraid because we don't know um, mm-hmm. how the other person is going to respond. They might not believe us, um, right? And um, they might react in a very different way than we need. That might be worse than if we hadn't told them, right? And I had tried to reach out a few times during my childhood and um, that didn't make a difference. I I reached out to the family doctor. I told the local priest. I told my second grade teacher and they didn't do anything. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so that was enough to lock the box. Like, there okay. you go. That that's it. So, and that's I think that's that's where um, that's where the toe piece comes from. Is that, and of course, you know, no one can can walk this like flaming tightrope perfectly. But it's um, I'm guessing that you're able to dive in with your current partner because you know you've lived enough of life to know that. That I, I mean, you, you actually have put your toe in with this person in a lot of ways and realize this is a safe, this, this is a safe place that I, I can do this. I can dive in and I'm not going to crash on the rocks. Um, I just need to do it. You know, I have a lot of fear and anxiety and feeling triggered by it, but I need to do it. It's the, what you talked about that's so unfortunate that happens to so many young people um, because they're not believed or families don't want to go there. Or then often in young adulthood, young adults talk to each other and, you know, I love young adults, but they don't often know what to say to each other in difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of, you know, have that first like, disclosure and it's met with something that they say, well, 
I'm not going to try that again for five or 10 more years. And so it's, um, it's, it's really too bad because I, I think I, uh, one of the clients in that I talk about in Supernormal who was sexually abused by a coach um, that who I talk about in the book, she says, you know, if I had had, like, if I could have talked to somebody like you about this, you know, 10 years ago, then my life would probably be in a very different place than it is right now. But everyone she approached, you know, kind of said, you know, we're not going there. This person's really important and really powerful and that this can't be right. Right. And you talk about uh, another situation in, in the book that, again, was another kind of yes, thank you moment um, um, for me. And I think for many, you highlight this this statement, this kind of instruction, use your words mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. you draw attention to that. Use your words as something that's told to young children who are falling apart. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you highlight, and, and this to me was so powerful because you highlight that words and sentences have the potential to create order and to facilitate connection. And that by talking about our worst days with others, we might find out that we are not as bad as we thought. Our experiences can be understood and we can too. Mm -hmm. And that story that you just shared kind of brought that statement that you made back to me because it's that sense of if I knew that before, if I had taught you before, if I was able to feel like I could have been understood before that I'm not as bad as I thought I was, Mm -hmm. then things could be so much different. Right. Yes. It's, I mean, and I think that's why I love to write books and my books tend to be kind of straight down the middle in terms of half narrative, half research, um, because I really feel strongly about the power of organizing or helping people organize their experiences. And, you know, sometimes that's through research of, you know, we talked about in the last episode of, you know, learning that, hey, the cycle of whatever, you know, studies actually don't show that it has to continue. And that's organizing for me that I don't have to have that in my head anymore. Other times it's seeing yourself, you know, understanding and feeling understood and that that can be very organizing. And it's often just even learning what these experiences are. I mean, it's not at all uncommon for a teenager or a young adult to not actually know what it means to be an alcoholic or to not really know um, that their, you know, sibling, you know, maybe has bipolar, like it's kind of these amorphous family stressors that are enormous, but not named. And so they just lack organization. And so we, we kind of, we can't really, you know, battle back against something that's, you know, constantly shape shifting and coming and going out of you. And so I think once, you know, there's that, well, as you said, the, the name it to tame it, idea that, you know, once you can give something a name, you say, okay, at least I know what I'm dealing with here. 
And that can be very organizing and very relieving and allow for a lot of connections because then it turns out you realize, hey, I'm not the only person who grew up with X, Y, or Z. Now that I know what it is, I can connect with other people or I can say what it is and other people will go, oh, okay, I get that. Right. And that was shifting for me and seeing the power of sharing our story in a different way because sharing our secret, uh, you know, I think many of us feel is really about, uh, you know, it helps us to open those connections and to just express those things and then therefore start to resolve them. But that extra piece that you added to that, that it actually allows the brain by putting our stories into words, that it allows the brain to actually create order around what otherwise feels chaotic and overwhelming and that we're constantly short-circuiting. And that's when we start to, you know, people start to self-medicate. And as you said, we then going to problems of drugs and alcoholism, depression, and it's just a downward spiral from there. Mm-hmm. Well, so many people just feel like, um, you know, what is this? You know, what what was that? And including the the client that I just talked to you about who was sexually abused by a coach. And this was, okay, I guess it was probably a good 15 years ago that the experience happened for her. But she was my client discussing this in my office about five or six years ago. So it was just before everyone started talking about this around first gymnastics. And then, of course, it's you know broadened from there. Um, so this was really something that she was, you know, said, what what was that? And that I had to explain to her that that was child sexual abuse. And she truly didn't know that um, because it was it wasn't what she perceived child sexual abuse to be. Oh, well, I thought that was in my house or that would be with a parent or, you know, as as a matter of fact, one of the most common forms of child sexual abuse is um, from a sibling, but people never talk about that. So it doesn't quite fit the box. Um, So anyhow, just being able to say, Oh, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't okay. That wasn't, you know, kind of just something different about our relationship that that was child sexual abuse then allowed the situation to be understood and then dealt with, um, you know, both on the inside and on the outside in terms of reporting or, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, there's a lot of power in that. And, you know, as you said, even just for our brains, because we don't have to keep spinning on what was that? Um, We know what it was. And then we can start learning from other people or from the research or read books by people who've been there, kind of start to work on it. You know, as we're talking about this, I'm remembering something that I wrote in the epilogue of Supernormal, which is honestly my favorite three pages of the whole book, Mm. (laughs) the epilogue. And um, there's something in there that I say about, you know, tell, tell someone your secrets. And if it doesn't go well, try again. 
and keep talking about the keep telling your story and over time it will probably get shorter. Mm. And I, I do think that's because of sort of the organization that happens. We get clearer on it. We make more sense of it. It also loses its, its power over time, you know, and, mm. and kind of becomes less of the center of our narrative. Um, but I don't think that can happen without the first step of sharing the story. Yeah. And as you're saying all of that, I'm just having so many, you know, wows, as I'm sure many are, as we realize, you know, just even that people don't acknowledge or even realize some of those things that have happened as being abuse. But then we have that question that you just asked, where does that come from? And I think the power in that, as you said, is rather than just moving on to the next thing uh, and saying, oh, well, that was just that, is to really stop and say, wow, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and touch it. Um, and then once you can, you can get your power from it, as you said, rather than it overpowering you. Um, and that kind of leads on to actually the second topic that we wanted to talk about today, which was depression. Um, mm-hmm. and seeing it and tending to it and overcoming it. Um, and in your book, The Defining Decade, you draw attention to the fact that teens who are sexually abused conclude that their relationships are not safe. And you share that by the time they reach adulthood, children have already made up their minds, not only about the world, but about themselves. You know, and that happens so early on. Mm-hmm. And so if we made up our minds about ourselves so long ago, and actually in a recent Brene Brown podcast, Brene talked to Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah, and they were talking about the fact that even in zero to two months, what happened to us then can frame um, mm. our thoughts and experiences now. So if if that happened so long ago and we made up our minds about ourselves so long ago, how do we go about changing our minds now? Mm-hmm. Well, it's people are going to need some convincing. <laughs> and so, right. you know, I think that's where, um, that is where, you know, I talked about for me, writing books has always been about, you know, it's half the story and it's half the research is that I feel like in both of my books, I've tried to really make a case for what I'm saying. And, to say that just because you've made up your mind about something doesn't mean it's correct. Um, And that, you know, likely you've been working with some, you know, kind of desperate times or limited data or, you know, an eight year old's brain and you draw the conclusions you need to draw at the time or that you feel that you can draw at the time. And so a lot of what happens and, you know, within adulthood, and it were kind of helped with this in early adulthood with the second uh, growth spurt in the brain is the brain is reorganizing and it's making a lot of new connections. People are having new relationships and they're moving to new states and they're having new jobs. And so your, your brain in adulthood, especially in early adulthood, but that's just partly the nature of development. We're bombarded with new experiences and new brain connections. So it's an awesome time to you know, I guess, as Adam Grant would say, think again, and to think Mm -hmm. differently about how you might have construed 
your situation or you in your situation. Um, and of course, it's never too late to do that work. And sometimes you're really more able to do it in your 30s and 40s with the maturity or with, you know, kind of the better relationships or the deeper connections, whether they're with a partner or with children or kind of deeper connections with your community. But so, I mean, I think we can make up our minds more than once in life. And most of my work is really about, because I work with adults, but I'm often working with people who are whether they know it or not, are really coming to me because they want to make up their mind differently than they did before. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think any of my clients come to me because they're hoping that we can help things stay the same. So that's, you know, usually what the world or what the work is about is, you know, let's, let's either change your situation or let's make up your mind differently um, so that you can be in a different place with, the world around you. Right. And, you know, you just took me back to something we spoke about in the first um, part of this podcast last week, um, when you spoke about how cumulative good experiences um, over time can help overcome mm-hmm. those cumulative bad experiences. Right. And, you know, in our talking about changing our minds, I guess what comes to me is that equally our cumulative good thoughts about ourselves that we can just tell ourselves each day, turning that negative that we have in our minds to the positive, even if it's just Mm -hmm. by flipping it, that Mm -hmm. those cumulative good thoughts can over time overcome those cumulative bad thoughts that we've had for so long and I know you know neuroscience is is certainly showing us that um, we can retrain how we think uh, about ourselves by those daily statements that we can make right well I mean when you think about it it I mean I think maybe people hearing that sometimes think well that sounds kind of thin or corny, but if you think about it, that's how we got to where we are was, and I'm not saying that was our fault that we had, you know, daily bad thoughts about ourselves or sort of daily misunderstandings or, you know, about the world based on our experience. Um, But I mean, they are daily and, and hourly that, that those thoughts have been looping in our brains, you know, for months, years, decades, Um, but they can, they can stop. We can have different loops going around and that is a cumulative process. And then meanwhile, we have different experiences daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and those, those add up as well. Um, and that that's, you know, it's sort of the same way we got to this place where, you know, maybe you're an adult and exhausted and feeling depressed and stressed because of chronic adversity, chronic stress, we unwind that with, you know, better and different ways of thinking and feeling and interacting and just, you know, an environment that's healing rather than um, damaging. Oh, my gosh. As I hear you say that, I just hear myself saying, yes, those cumulative good thoughts and cumulative good experiences that I know I had to force myself to think and to do often. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. okay, turn the thought around. Just you know, mm-hmm. just flip mm-hmm. it. Um, 
And when I just force myself to, again, small things, go for a walk, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. look at the sky, breathe. You know, my, my dogs have been lifesavers to me. Mm. You know, <laughs> I mean, my dog, seven, how long ago? 23 years ago, I guess now, my first dog, I think was the first little guy that opened my heart, you know, and, mm, and yeah. I was able mm-hmm. to go for what, you know, he, he, he made sure I got out every day and went for a walk, That's you know, right. and looked mm-hmm. at the flowers and smelled the flowers and thank God for, you know, him because he, right. you know, and so it's like, I think sometimes we just have to say, okay, what, what can I do? Who can I call on? Um, mm-hmm. What can I bring into my life that will help me every day to have a good thought and do a good thing for myself? Mm-hmm. And and to heal that it's you know that the cumulative that the good bad the good adds up also and you know I think that's what you know Barbara Fredrickson's research about the upward spiral you know we we all heard about the downward spiral but you know we're talking about the upward spiral that you know it builds up and you know the positive loop builds up and upward um, across adulthood if we're fortunate and if we make it happen and that's how people heal I mean it it's I mean you know frankly they're doing some really cool work out there right now with psychedelics and you know maybe we're going to find a way to you know have this process happen in six sessions with you know some some brain hacks it's absolutely possible it currently you know I'm not aware of you know kind of a a guaranteed quick route to what we're talking about, but it does happen over time. Yeah. And one of the things that you highlight is that children, teens who are sexually abused conclude that their relationships are not safe and that so that's what they enter their adulthood with. And so you also revealed that those same children grow up to be teenagers and young adults uh, were three times more likely than others their age to be depressed. Uh, Mm -hmm. if they had experienced uh, sexual abuse and twice as likely to be dependent on alcohol or drugs. And we know we have a huge problem um, across the board in the United States when it comes to depression and suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 10 to 24-year-olds. And the CDC recently reported that the suicide rate among females 45 to 64, increased 60% Mm. between the years 2000 and 2016, which is more than twice the average Mm. increase across Mm. all age groups. So how have you found that we can go into the trauma uh, that has the ability to send us down that dark spiral or, as you said, kind of go on an upward spiral how do we not go to in a culture that is you know, kind of self-medicating and mm. and look at some other options yeah i mean i think it it really comes back to um i mean i don't want to say it's a, a one size fits all because so many pieces come into it um you know that i i can think of clients who you know drew a lot of strength from the work that they did or from you know, their importance to their other family members or as a parent or, you know, that that there was a certain amount of sort of purpose and strength that they drew from the roles that they had. Um, 
but again, I think it does often come back to those connections of people who care and who support us and not just who need us. Um, that, you know, if you think about what puts people at risk for depression, of course, there's, you know, kind of a genetic risk component. And then the environmental piece, obviously, growing up with any childhood adversity increases your risk um, many times over to have depression in adulthood. But that's really because of the chronic stress that you're living with. So you want to dial back um, the chronic stress in whatever way is possible for you. And But I have many clients who feel like, you know, I need to take good care of myself as an adult. And that's something that they take a lot of pride and pleasure in doing, that their body needs that after 20 years of chronic stress. Um, that, you know, I'm not saying they, you know, need to quit their jobs and live at a spa because who can do that? But just in terms of I need to feed myself well, um, self-medicating with drugs and alcohol is probably the opposite of that. Um, in that, that actually, I mean, those are both depressants. And so they really just kind of feed the downward spiral. So I would say taking really good care of yourself physically and emotionally and letting other people, um, care for you too, because these are the things that roll back to chronic stress in our brain and our body and allow us to feel less depressed and more connected. And I mean, and that's, that's a virtuous cycle there is, you know, between the connection and the depression. Right. And I think that takes being honest with ourselves, with our own behaviors, right? Because at the end of the day, we're the only ones that can kind of self-reflect and say, you know, I am feeling way too negative and I am really experiencing a kind of depression that is affecting me deeply each day and I'm afraid of it and Mm -hmm. being able to say okay I need to do something about it likewise you know with alcohol I mean I know from for me alcohol was a way to numb you know and Mm -hmm. I know it is for many you know when you're right Mm -hmm. when you're so overwhelmed with the unresolved feelings and and then when you're triggered you know each day by different things it's overwhelming and you just want to switch off and alcohol Mm -hmm. again we we do that and I had to it's reliable Mm -hmm. it's reliable yes and I had to say I'm probably relying on a drink at the end of the day to to numb that and I didn't want to do that just as Mm -hmm. you know I tried to end my life during my teenage years and I I had a friend suicide and I actually found him hanging from the rafters in his garage Mm -hmm. and that was actually enough for me to be like you know what I I actually don't want to end up like that I thought Mm -hmm. ending it would be peaceful but that doesn't look Mm -hmm. peaceful and I also had to have the aha and the realization to be like I am not going to allow my father to destroy my mm-hmm. adulthood like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. and I'm not going right. to allow him to to end my future and and, right. and it was just that you know there was something that shifted in that I'm like I don't want to rely on alcohol I don't want to end my life and so what am I going to do and mm-hmm. be like I I'm, I'm just going to live it. I'm just going to make positive choices. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get out and experience good things. I'm going to get a dog, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And but it sounds like in, both, in all those cases, it was kind of, it was a fighting back moment, uh, you know, the, a, yes. a battling back moment. And I think that's, you know, so, so often when we, people talk about resilience or, you know, recovery after adversity, you know, people say, oh, you really bounced back from that. And so often when you hear people talk about their experiences, it's sound. It's much more of a, a battling back and a digging in, and just a refusal to be defeated, um, and a determination to do it differently. If I'm not going to end up in the garage on the rafters, you know, I, I'm not, and um, or I'm not going to let my father take any more time from me. And you know, that's often, and I think you know, with supernormal, part of what I wanted people to own is their own courage. That takes a lot of courage. Um, it takes a lot of work to battle back against childhood adversity. But people like you are all around us who are doing it, who have done it, you know, but they're just often hiding in plain sight. And, and that's the thing, right? And that's the power of sharing our stories. Because when we realize that as much as we went through some really horrific things, we can find the what's worth it to move on and mm-hmm. that whether it's that moment of I'm not gonna let mm-hmm. what happened to me or the person that did it have any more control over my life so I'm just gonna st- stop it end it change the way I think about things change the way I think about myself and make different choices for myself starting tomorrow however that small mm-hmm. that might be um, Absolutely. right and and then finding that so what finding that you know what, this is what I want to do with my life. I'm tired, tired of, you know, the whole, I'm tired of feeling tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what can I do that makes me feel inspired? And and actually, so that's what our last topic for today is about, is finding your thing that makes your life yours and mm. deciding to want it and choose it. Mm-hmm. So if we spend our last part of this podcast on that, you know, I reflect on, that question, what do you want? And that it can be one of the most difficult questions for anyone, anyone yes. to answer. Yet clearly knowing and expressing what we want and then putting that committed action behind it every day makes the difference between living that life that's full and happy or missing out on it. And I'm sure you've spent mm-hmm. many hours helping every nature of person work through this. And you've highlighted in um, your books that doing work and having activities that feel meaningful and purposeful are actually key predictors of physical Mm -hmm. health and emotional health and feeling Mm -hmm. satisfied with our lives. But what impact have you experienced that child trauma has on our Mm -hmm. ability to define what we want and and (laughs) step into it and stay with it? You know, it's such an interesting question because it it falls down on two sides of of kind of the same coin of, and they're both, you know, perfectly good sides to end up on. And some people go, you know, one way with it and others go another way. But, you know, many of my clients, and then there's a lot of research out there about kind of, you know, sort of the the heroic projects of um, that, you know, the people who were, um, victims of bad situations or victims of circumstance, victims of sexual abuse, whatever it is, that when they're older, 
they want to, they don't want to be in that position anymore. They, they want to be the hero. And I mean that in a good way, they want to save themselves. They want to save other people. They want to do good in the world or help people in a way that maybe they wished someone had helped them. And that can be very fulfilling and inspiring and motivating and organizing. And that, you know, I've seen many, many, many clients, many professionals. There's a, um, a great article that I reference in Supernormal because I love the title. It's um, the title is "When the Family Hero Turns Pro," and mm-hmm. it's about the huge, huge number of loved that you know of helping professionals who are family heroes. And they're like, "Well, I've been doing this for free, or you know, in my own life, mm-hmm. all, you know, forever. I might as well make a job out of it." And um, and you know, beyond obviously the job piece, I mean, it can create incredible purpose and meaning. And feel like something good came out of something bad. And that is, you know, can often be a big part of healing um, after trauma. Um, you know, yet I do want to say, because it's not a, never a one size fits all, that I've also, also seen clients who really felt liberated by uh, tr- figuring out something that they feel that they want or that they want to be that has nothing to do with their particular trauma. And I don't mean in that, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to look at it sort of way, but that, you know, they, they want to be the artist that they were trying to be, you know, before life was interrupted in this way, or that they they want to be able to develop as they felt they would have and could have and should have and still can, um, you know, even though, and in spite of. And so I've seen some clients feel very liberated about, you know, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to work in that area. I want to choose something that I feel I would have chosen regardless. And, um, and that, so that kind of, that path can be liberating for other people. So, you know, it's always, it's never a one size fits all. Um, And, you know, the same kind of goes with sharing your story, even though I do feel that it's important to talk to somebody, you know, some people share their story big and wide and, you know, they, like you said, they write a book or they, you know, write a song or it's, you know, they're known with a, that story and other people, you know, maybe they share it with a person or two or a few people in their, in their lives, but it's something that's more private for them. So it's never a one size fits all. Right. And I loved the fact that you brought that up and really spent a lot of time talking about that in the book, because it is, I think, something that we all struggle with. Am I doing good stuff because I've just kind of, you know, I'm coming from that place of of wanting to just like do good and being a perpetual kind of do-gooder and am I just have I just become wired that way you know is it really my choice or is it not my choice you know am am I really making a choice and I know I've spun that around so many times in my in my mind myself um and and I love in Supernormal that you reference the moment that Peter Parker, a Spider-Man, embraces uh-huh. he embraces his powers and his role as a superhero who has an obligation to do good, you know, and he mm-hmm. just had that, okay, I've experienced this and I'm choosing to do this. Um, right. And at the same time, you know, you give examples of others who are like, no, I, you know, enough and I'm going to choose something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two sides of that. 
Uh, And I think it comes down ultimately to having the confidence and the strength to choose and take Mm -hmm. that step for yourself, whatever it is, based on your deepest question to yourself of an answer from within yourself of what Mm -hmm. do you want? And to feel like at some point, whatever point it is that you chose it. So, you know, okay, maybe the, you know, childhood sexual abuse chose me, you know, early on and chose to be, you know, I didn't have any say in that being part of my narrative and part of my experience, but I do have a say in whether that's part of my work or part of my, my public narrative and that whatever you decide is, you know, for you to decide, but to, I think, you know, feeling like at some point you do claim it as if you're going to do that work, you feel like, okay, I I claim this because not because it's, you know, I kind of got pushed this way as much as because this unlocked something in me that I think is really powerful and positive and I can do good in the world. Um, And, you know, that something good can come from something bad. So it's really about feeling that in the end you, you chose to continue. And I'm so glad you used the word um, phrase, claim it, then because it is, it's such a powerful phrase that we ultimately have to claim it one way or another and not live in regret. And again, in Supernormal, you, um, you draw attention to this dilemma that, and you say too many family heroes have a crisis of confidence and ask themselves, who am I to take on this work? Rather, mm-hmm. who better than I to take on this work. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of those, again, moments in the book where you just really do just sit back and say, you know, where in my life am I doubting myself and my mm-hmm. ability to take on whatever work it is that I want to take on or whatever that thing is for me that makes me excited, you know. It's right. claiming and that. that Yes. And seeing the, seeing those as strengths, um, you know, who, the, who better than I, um, seeing that, I mean, that's the flip from the abnormal to the supernormal rather than, well, who am I? I mean, I, you know, if only people knew this was part of my story and people maybe do or don't need to know that, you know, if, if it's your job or, you know, your choice about how public that is, but you know, and so it's, how are you framing that within yourself? Is it, who am I to do this work or who better than I? Because that's the flip to the supernormal. If I have some unique strengths that um, have, you know, at this point are gifts that I can give to other people. Yes. And I think we all acknowledge if there's one thing that we all acknowledge i hope i think is that ultimately we each just want happiness you know Mm -hmm. we we want to be able to change those things that have harmed us into the things that help us as we move forward you know help Mm -hmm. us live with meaning and purpose and passion and adventure and really to fully live because Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's what we're here for. And there's right, a lot of good right. stuff out there, you know, when we get out and just push ourselves beyond the fear and just be like, I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, what have you 
found to be the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves or things we can do for ourselves to keep making the positive choices each day that take us closer to, to living that and being able to just do it anyway each day. Hmm. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, you're good at stumping me at the yeah. end of the Just podcast. to end with a simple, <laughs> just to end with a simple ref, you know, reflection that will transform yeah. all of our lives. Yeah. We're listening. Yeah. We're all no on edge. We're all, <laughs> we're waiting for this, this, this revelation. Dr. Well, J. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'll, I'll give you someone else's revelation or there's a, a Tibetan saying that I've been thinking a lot about recently because, you know, on the one hand, I'm sort of known, you know, my work, especially with young adults is about, you know, thinking ahead or, you know, where, where are you trying to get with your life? You know, that this is for you to decide you're driving this. Um, on the other hand, a lot of that work is around if you're intentional in your present that's actually how you plan for the future. It's not, you know, making some spreadsheet and then, you know, doing the items on the list. It's about being intentional in your present and and the future, you know, will be good or will be better. And anyway, there's a Tibetan saying that's something like take care of the minutes and the years will take care of themselves. Mm. And, you know, I'm thinking about that in the context of our conversation of that I think, Day by day, it's the things we say to ourselves, it's the experiences that we have, it's the, you know, hopefully being in safer, more healthy, positive healing situations, it's the relationships that day by day, that's how the years are going to take care of themselves in terms of resolving trauma, that I don't think you can look at it and say, how am I going to get there in 10 years, or am I still going to feel like this in 10 years? I just think that's an unanswerable question. Um, but the best way to, you know, take care of the future is to take care of yourself day by day right now. And that's, you know, that's how resolving the trauma works. Wow. So you come up though with the best answers and revelations with stumping (laughs) questions. So you're too kind. (laughs) Wow. Um, I feel like a breath, as you said that, um, it's your intention in the present that determines your future and take care of the minutes and the years will take care of themselves. Hmm, that feels good, Dr. J. Good. Well, I'm glad, Kathy, and I've so enjoyed talking to you and getting an opportunity to speak to your audience. It's, it's really a pleasure and a privilege. Well, thank you so much. I'm so grateful deeply, deeply, profoundly grateful for your time here and all that you dug deep in your book to really help people from new places that will really help people go to new places. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope this podcast was helpful to you. And I hope you'll stay connected to Dr. Meg Jay. Her work has helped so many. I know it's helped me to understand more about what I still experience from childhood abuse. And I know there'll be something there for you. You can visit Dr. Meg's website at www.megjay.com 
where you'll find her books and her TED Talk and her features in everything from the Oprah Magazine to Harvard Business Review, the New York Times, Psychology Today, and so much more. Thanks again for spending the time with us this week. To receive notifications of the podcast, subscribe or follow the podcast today and visit overcomingchildsexualabuse.com for more about this and upcoming podcasts. I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, stay well and be good to yourself. Remember, to get help for anything you're going through, reach out to a qualified professional. You can search the internet, call 24-7 hotlines, including the National Child Abuse Hotline, or speak to your doctor for resources. In case of a mental health emergency, please don't hesitate to call 911. Copyright 2021, Kathy Anderson. All rights reserved.